You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. God is good. Uh, You know, today I am going to be wrapping up our revival series, if you want to call it that. This is actually part 12 of this series. We've been, uh, uh, you could call it a series, we've been calling it a theme. Um, And I told our team a little bit earlier, I think I'm wrapping up our revival series because you never know, once I start praying this next week, God might say, we got a few more weeks ahead of us. So we'll see what happens. But I'm planning on, I think that's that's what we're going to do. I think I have another series God put in my heart a while back that I feel like we're going to start next Sunday. And so uh, be here for that. It's going to be... I. Don't say this lightly, it will be life-changing. Today, though, the title of today's message is this, Revival or We Die. You may say, Pastor Dan, that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? it?" But here's the thing, if you've been with us for a while, we've been talking about the seriousness of revival, how we must see revival take place, how we must be desperate not to see um, uh, an emotion take place, but to see revival, like God-led, spirit-empowered revival take place, not just in our lives, but in our church and in our, in our region. And we've been saying that as we've been praying about this, I believe God's been showing us that there has been a spirit of complacency that has crept over much of our region, much of the American church, much of the Bible belt that has just caused us to be kind of uh, rocked to sleep or, or lulled to sleep spiritually where we become so comfortable with the things of God, comfortable with church, comfortable with gathering together that it just doesn't feel like a big deal. Why do we do it? We've been talking about through this series how we, it's our job to crush that spirit of complacency and see it for what it is, that it is evil, that it is something that uh, Jesus calls lukewarm, that it's our job to make sure that we are on fire and not lukewarm. We're not ice cold, but we are ready to be used by God. And so today I want to talk about the death desperate uh, need for revival. And we're going to look at a popular story, maybe the most popular story in in all of the Bible. We're going to talk about uh, David and Goliath today. David and Goliath. Before we get into it, though, let me set this up. Uh, We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. And before we get to it, I'm going to show you Israel at this point. David is not the king. He's just a shepherd boy. But Israel uh, is in a standoff with their enemy, the Philistines. And so here we see Israel on one side, uh, on this mountain over here, and then we see a valley, and then on this side we have the Philistines. And here we have them, they're going back and forth, and we have uh, the Philistines, they have their giant warrior, which is Goliath. He comes out for 40 days straight, and he mocks and ridicules and points fingers at and laughs at God's people. And here he is cursing God's people. And everyone is too afraid of this literal giant, nine feet plus high, this giant that has come out and who's tried to wage war against them. And so everyone is at this standstill. And as I was reading this this past week, I just just felt like God was putting in my heart that this is exactly where we are today. That if you look at culture, if you look at some of the the, the bills and the laws that are being passed, if you look at some of the, uh, the things that are being pushed on our kids, even in our school system, even in a state like Oklahoma, you look at some of the stuff that's being pushed on our kids through TV, we are under spiritual attack. And what's happened is we have this spiritual enemy who set up shop on one side. And God's people are not, that they're not absent, they're present. 
But again, complacency has got God's people in a place where they are hiding in tents and they're looking across and they see this mighty army or this mighty warrior, but they're too afraid to take a stand and to do something about it. And God is saying, I want to give you victory. I want to bring revival, but he's waiting for a group of people or a person or people to say, we've had enough. Let's go to war. And until we realize that, I, I got this quote, this, this phrase right here, revival or we die from, I can't even remember the, the pastor's name, but it was from a long, long time ago, uh, 100, 100 plus years ago. He made this statement in desperation to his people saying, it's revival or we die. We have to realize if we don't see a move of God, all hope will be lost. We have got to be desperate for a move of God. So here we are, we're in the spiritual standoff and God is waiting for somebody to stand up and say, enough is enough, 40 days. And so here's what I'm gonna do. Most of us know this story, so I'm gonna give us some instruction from the story that we can apply in our lives that will help us put some, put some emphasis on seeing revival take place, but that can also put it into our lives and put it into practice. And so point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Comparison will kill me. Comparison will kill me. If you're taking notes today, and if you don't have, at the back at our resource tables as you walk out today, if you don't have one of those notebooks, those abide notebooks, there's some sitting there. Those are free. You've already paid for those. And so, man, please take one. Uh, It makes it a little bit easier to take notes when you're at your seat, when you have something hard to write on. You know what I'm saying? So if you don't have one, take one. You can start collecting these notes over a while, and it'll be a great, great resource for you. Point number one is this. Comparison will kill me. Let's dive into the story, and I'll show you what I'm talking about here. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 31. All right, so here's David. David has shown up. He's not, a, he's not a warrior just yet necessarily. He's shown up and he's bringing supplies to his brothers. And he hears Goliath talking and he starts running his mouth a little bit saying, well, why doesn't somebody do something about Goliath? As the story goes on, David gets more bold. His initial statements are not necessarily that he wants to go out and slaughter the giant. He's just realizing we could win if somebody would go out there and do something about it. No one has talked this way, though. No one has given any, even a glimpse of hope to anyone else in the army. And so when David starts just even hinting at the fact, we can do something about this. We can have victory even over this warrior. Well, word gets to Saul. So let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, the men reported it to Saul. It wasn't even David that went to Saul. The men reported it to Saul. And he sent for him, David. David said to Saul, let no man's courage fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go out and will fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are only a young man. And he has been a warrior since his youth, meaning this, you're just a boy. But Goliath's been a warrior since he was a boy. (laughs) You have to understand that he was well-trained. He had a great legacy of being victorious. But can I tell you this, what I see in this is this, the first step of embracing comparison is accepting labels given to you by other people. Let me say it again. The first step in embracing comparison is accepting labels that have been given to you by other people. Imagine you walking around and as you go throughout your life, people come up and they write a a name on a name tag and they stick it on your back. And this is exactly what's happening to David, but in the spiritual realm. He shows up, and he's, he's willing to go to, to fight. But Saul, the king, who should have went out and defeated Goliath, he, show, he says to David, you're just a boy. Meaning what? You're not good enough. You're too young to be used by God. You're, there's no way that you 
could bring victory. And the first thing that he does is he puts a label on David, which in this would then, if David wasn't prepared for it, would crush his spirits. Can I tell you this is exactly what happens in our lives? You finally get a glimpse of revival in your life personally. You finally get a breath of fresh air. You finally start leaning into the things of God. You finally start trusting God or praying for more in your life. And someone who should be encouraging your walk with God comes in and they crush it by a word. Ah, That's a little extreme, don't you think? You're just getting a little too all in with God, don't you think? Can you really pray and believe God for that? Can he really do that? They come in and they speak doubt. And here's the truth of it. Sadly, the people who will criticize your bold faith the most are the ones who should be your biggest supporters. When David went into Saul, Saul, even though he was a coward himself in this situation, he should have looked at David and said, you know what, you're right. God, we are in covenant with the living God. God is with us. God can, God can back us and we can win this battle. I believe in you, son. Go do it. He should have done that. But the person that David looked up to, Saul, as the kings, what did Saul do? No, you can't do that. Comparison will kill you. If David were to believe that lie, I am too young to defeat this warrior, it would have crushed him. It would have crushed him, and it would have affected hundreds, if not thousands, of other people that were there that day as well. The truth is this. Whoever tries to give you those labels, whoever tries to tell you, even if they're, they're, they're someone close to you, that you're not good enough, that you'll never be worthy, that uh, you're too young or you're too old or whatever they might say, you're, you're too fat, you're too skinny, whatever they might try to put on you, can I tell you this? If they didn't create you, design you, and save you, they don't have the right to label you. Can I say that again? If they didn't create you, design you, or save you, they don't have the right to label you. And I'm going to tell you, the only person that does is Jesus. (laughs) God the Father created you. He designed you. He saved you. He is the only one that has the right to put a label on you for your future, for your future. We're not here for man's approval, okay? We're here to serve God. And can I tell you where this attacks the most is with moms, especially young moms, Any moms know what I'm talking about in here? Okay. Comparison. Comparison. You look at somebody else's kid, you look at somebody else's life, you look at somebody else's Instagram, and it can be devastating if you're not careful. But can I tell you today, for all the moms in the room, keep praying over your kids, keep speaking God's word over your kids. God told me to tell you, you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. Keep going. Keep believing Keep speaking, keep praying. Let's continue in our story. 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 now. Then Saul dressed David in his garments. He put a bronze helmet on his head. He put a a coat of armor on him. Then David fastened his sword over his armor and he tried to walk, but he he could not because he was not used to them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to these. So David took them off. Can I tell you, many Christians live their lives hoping and believing that they can just wear someone else's armor when the battle comes. But that's not how it works. You can't put on someone else's armor when the battle comes. If you try to wear, if you try to wear armor that's not designed for you, you'll end up hurting yourself and people around you. This is what would have happened to David. If David would have went on the battlefield and he would have faced Goliath with Saul's armor on, not only would David, because he wasn't used to it, would he have died, but also that would have meant that he forfeited now all of Israel and the armies of Israel would have had to serve the Philistines. It wasn't just David would be dead. No, it affected 
thousands of other people as well. And this is the, the, what we have to realize about spiritual warfare is that many times when you're facing a spiritual battle that you have to realize, I can't rely always on someone else's armor. There may be a season where you have to lean on, on someone else who's a little more mature than you. You should have counsel around you that's, that's more mature, that's going to point you towards God's word, absolutely. However, God's word says for you to put on the armor of God. Too many times we try to go to other, somebody else's armor, somebody else's experience, someone else's prayer life when God says, I want to empower you to win this battle. We have a little bit of responsibility to play. Again, we should surround ourselves. We have to surround ourselves with good community in these battles. However, we have some responsibility to play. Comparison is dangerous and it will kill you. If he would have accepted those labels, I'm too young, I'm not good enough. If he would have tried to be something he's not because he was comparing himself to a king who was a good warrior, who had all the armor, if he would have done that, it would have killed him. Comparison, it will kill your dreams, it will kill your confidence, it will kill your identity, it will kill your calling, it will kill your influence. When you start to see yourself comparing yourself to someone else, and it's a negative thing that puts you down, shake it off. That's not who God's created you to be. Who has God created you to be? In, in, in the life of Jesus, in John chapter 21, we see that Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's talking with Peter, and Peter is responding to Jesus, talking about the other disciples, and he's saying, well, what about, what about this other disciple? If he, if he, uh, how is he going to die, basically? What's his life going to be like, basically? Peter wants all the details, all the, all the, the ins and outs of someone else's, another disciple's life and his future and all of this, and here's Jesus' response to, to Peter comparing his life to someone else's in John 21, 22. This is the Amplified. It says, Jesus said to Peter, if I want him to stay alive until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. Can I tell you, when you start to compare yourself to others, when you start looking at other people, when you start getting your eyes off of Jesus, well, what about them? What's going on in there? And you get so focused on others. Jesus is saying to us today, what about them? (laughs) What about them? As for you, follow me. Look to me. Don't compare yourself to that mom or that dad or that leader. Stop for a second. Look to me. What have, I, what have I gifted you to do in this season? If we don't get our eyes back on Jesus, comparison will get us killed spiritually. It will get us killed. Point number two is this. Prepare before the battle. It's revival or we die. David, oh man, he gives us such good insight into spiritually how we go to battle. Prepare before the battle. You know, we used to do this all the time when I played uh, high school football. On Mondays, we would come in and they would give us this basically mini book. It's called a scouting report. And the coaches all basically all weekend long, they had been watching film for the next team we were going to face. And they knew what plays they were going to run. They knew that if they had this many receivers on this side, when they lined up, that it was a 70% chance they were going to pass and a 30% chance that they were going to run. So we got all of that information so that by Friday night when we played this team, we're prepared. I know what's going to happen. Oh, okay. So I'm on defense now. They have three receivers over here. 70% chance they're going to pass it. I'm ready for a pass. We were set up. For success. This is what we must do spiritually. Prepare before the battle. Many times, too many believers, they get in the battle and it would be just like us pulling out that piece of paper. I didn't look at it all week, but hey, they just lined up. I'm in the middle of a football game. I got this big book that I'm looking through trying to figure out what they're going to do next. 
God has given us, given us a scouting report, and he's saying every time the devil sets up this way in your life, every time he comes at you this way in your life, every time he tells you this lie in your life, guess what? I'm showing you what he's going to do, and I've given you instruction on how to beat that thing that he just set up in your life. This is the scouting report. This is exactly how it works. So here's what we have to do. We have to prepare before the battle. Let's continue in our story. We're going to backtrack a few verses to verse 34. Then David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. So this was his response basically to, you're just, a, you're just a boy. Here's what he said. When a lion and a bear came and they took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it. I attacked it and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I seized it. I love, this is the Amplified. I, see the, I love this. I seized it by its whiskers and struck and killed it. Come on, David. I'm just grabbing that thing by its whiskers. Let's go. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted or cursed and defiled the, ar- the armies of the living God. Here's what David is saying. You're un- this uncircumcised Philistine, he's identifying that that enemy is not in covenant, w- covenant with the living, victorious God. And in doing so, he was also saying, guess what? The lion, the bear, the things that came after the physical sheep, they were not in covenant either. I had guaranteed spiritual rights to victory. This is how we must attack things that come in our lives. When they show up, we have to realize, when I put Jesus as the Lord of my life, I am now in covenant with the living, victorious God. That means any attack or any devil in hell, demon in hell, anything that comes against me, it doesn't have legal, spiritual rights to victory. I'm in covenant with the Heavenly Father. So when those things come at us, how should we respond? Exactly the way David responded. You're not in covenant, that means I have right to victory. I'm gonna pursue you until I overtake you. Let's continue on here. David said, the Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Good luck out there, buddy, right? <laughs> uh, good, good. Go for it. So here we go. David had confidence to face Goliath because he had been faithful with the smaller battles. Let me say this. David had confidence to face Goliath because he had been faithful with the smaller battles. Even when little things come into your life that don't align with God's word, do you settle or do you attack? Do you settle or do you attack for even the little things? Let me show you why this is important. David was faithful with, to save the sheep of his earthly father. And in doing so, he proved that he'd be faithful to save the sheep, which were humans, of his heavenly father. He was faithful to save the sheep of his earthly dad. No one would have known. He, uh, yeah, he kept track of how many sheep he had, absolutely, but everyone would have probably understood that a huge lion came and it ate one. Dad, I'm sorry, okay, what do you want me to do? Just a shepherd boy, I got a staff and a a slingshot out here. He would have understood, but he said, no, no, no. I am faithful in little, and God said, because you're faithful in little, in the little battles, in the little stresses, in the little things, you can be trusted with much, and you will have victory in much. It's a huge lesson to learn. Let's look at verse 40. Then he took his shepherd's staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones out of the stream bed, and he put them in his shepherd's, shepherd's bag, which he had that is, in his shepherd's pouch. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. This is where it gets so good. David prepared before the battle. 
David chose five smooth stones, not because he expected to miss three or four times. David got five smooth stones because he knew that Goliath had four brothers. Do you hear me? (laughs) He knew Goliath has four brothers. If I strike this, if when I strike this guy down, his brothers are going to be pretty upset. Am I ready for them too? That's the attitude of preparing before the battle. And so here's the thing. I'm not asking us to go carry around a slingshot and some smooth stones, right, in a a fanny pack. That's not what I'm saying today. But here's what I am saying, okay? What scriptures and promises from God are you carrying with you in your bag, in your heart, in your mind, so that you can slay the giants in your life? Because it's too late. If David goes on the battlefield and then he sees him and then he tries to find a smooth stone, it's too late. Goliath is charging has he prepared before he goes on the battlefield? And that's what God's asking us to do. Have I put God's word into my heart in such a way that I carry it with me so that if I do come across some ugly giant spiritually that's facing me, I can say, no, I have a word for you. I have a stone for you. I will strike you down because I was what? Prepared. I'm ready. And guess what? If I strike you down and four more like you come running around the corner, I'm ready for them too. Okay? Too many times we said, oh, I got, well, I got one verse, you know, memorized. And if that's where you've started, that's great. Keep going, though. I can't afford to have one scripture memorized. I can't afford, David can't afford to walk around with one rock in his, in his pouch. He's got to go and be ready for the attacks. It's better to be overprepared in a battle than to be underprepared. Prepare before the battle. Here's the thing. It's easy to pray for healing once I'm sick, but I would challenge us to start to declare health and healing and wholeness every day before I experience sickness. Get ahead of it. Get ahead of it. I listen to uh, Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in, in Texas. I listen to him every week. He's a fantastic teacher, and that's one of the things he talked about for years. He, would, he knew healing scriptures, but he then had the revelation that, God, you have, you have given us the, the, the gift of health, It's part of his divine benefits. And he said, you know what, I'm going to start declaring health before I'm ever in crisis mode. Before I get to the hospital, before my kids are sick, before I see sickness, I'm going to start declaring it every single day. Here's why this is important. I've got to put this stuff and be prepared. I've got to put these scriptures and promises in my heart. Because Jesus said this in John 14, 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. The truth is this, the Holy Spirit can't help me remember something I haven't first committed to knowing. God, help me in the battle. I'm hitting the panic button. But have I committed to knowing his word and studying his word? Have I prepared for the battle so that the Holy Spirit can do his job? We want the Holy Spirit to do his job without us first investing. And he's saying, no, while while life is good, get in this thing. Prepare in this thing. Practice in this thing. Put it in your heart so that when I face crisis, I can ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me a word right now for this situation. Give me something to speak in this situation. And I've released the Holy Spirit to do his job. He can bring to remembrance something in my life that Jesus has said. Here's what's amazing. This battle of David and Goliath, it was not, it was, or it was, let me say it this way. The battle was won out with the sheep. The battle between David and Goliath, David was victorious when he was with the sheep. Not on the battlefield. He was already victorious. 
In those lonely hours alone with the lambs, David talked to God, and he took a lot of target practice with his sling. Theory has it that they, the, these shepherds could literally split a hair if they could stretch it out, and from a long distance they could split a hair with these rocks that they would sling. That's how good they would get. They had a lot of time on their hands. His communion with the Lord and his skill with the sling were both used by God. Prepare before the battle. Number three is this. When I fight, God fights with me. When I fight, God fights with me. Let's finish this this story out here. As I read this next passage, when I fight, God fights with me. As I read this next passage, I want us to be aware of how many times David says, I will, and how many times David says, God will. I will and God will. Let's, let's look at it. When the Philistine looked around and he saw David, he derided, dis- disparaged him because he was just a young man with a ruddy complexion and a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with the stick or the shepherd's staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. When David said, uh, then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted, whom you have cursed. This day the Lord will, there's one, hand you over to me, and I will, one to one, strike you down and cut off your head. And I will, there's two to one, Give the corpses of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. I say this all the time. God wants to partner with you. God will, I will. I say it like this. It's like a seesaw or a teeter-totter. Remember that in the old school playgrounds? One person on this side, one person on this side. And when you push off, this person then gets to push off and you go back and forth. So many times though, we're standing over here and we're the person that's down and God's in the air and he's saying, hey, I wanna help. If you would just push off, if you would do your part, then I could come down and then I could push off and do my part. But he's waiting to partner with us. It's the perfect partnership. Two to two. I will, God will. We can't expect God to do the miraculous if we are knowingly, intentionally ignoring the commands he has already given us. Uh, Somebody wooed me. I'm going to say it again. Here we go. We (laughs) We can't expect God to do the miraculous if we are knowingly, intentionally ignoring the commands he's already given us. What has God told me to do? Have I done that so he can do his part? God will, I will. God will, I will. It's like a right leg and a left leg. We're going to walk together needing each other. Not because God is limited or because God is not all powerful. No, he, he, he is. However, he loves you enough to say, can we walk close together and know each other intimately? Let's continue on, verse 48. When the Philistine rose and he came forward to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bat, he took out a stone, he slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed 
over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. So he ran and he stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword. He drew it out of the sheath and he killed him and he cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw, when the Philistines saw that their mighty champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah stood with a shout and they pursued the Philistines. Never underestimate your bold faith, what it will do for other people. Because when you walk in bold faith, it empowers the people around you to also walk in bold faith. Can I tell you, we must be vicious in our spiritual attacks because the enemy is going to be vicious with his attacks against you. Be vicious with it. David wasn't satisfied with a dead Philistine face down, bleeding with a rock in his head. He said, I'm going to finish the job here, boys. He goes, he has no sword in his hand, but he goes, he gets the sword, and what's he do? He chops his head off. Here's what's interesting. Here's a little fact for you. I'm not going to charge you extra for this today. Here's the fact for you. At the beginning of 1 Samuel 17, they lay out Goliath's, uh, at the very beginning, the Bible lays out Goliath's armor. They talk about how much it weighed. They talk about his spear. They talk uh, about his helmet. They talk about all of these things, the, the shin guards, they talk about it. The one thing it doesn't list in Goliath's armor is the sword. Interesting. He had it with him. He carried it with him. Hear me. God had already given spiritual legal rights or the title deed to that sword to David. In God's mind, that's David's sword. That's not Goliath's. He doesn't have any right to it. Don't you dare list it in here as part of his armor. He had no sword in his hand. Where was his sword? Goliath was carrying his sword. How does God see your, 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 your battle? <laughs> he loves to take the attacks the enemy throws at you, and he loves to take the enemy's armor and use it against himself. This is why Joseph said, what the enemy meant to harm me, God has taken it and he will use it for good. This is why we say, though, it doesn't mean that the enemy's never going to come at you. Goliath will show up in your life at some point. But when he does, God wants to take it and he wants to use what Goliath comes with. And he wants to use that thing, the sword, to what? To finish and find victory for your life. The title deed for Goliath's sword was actually belonging to David. Don't you dare list it as a part of Goliath's armor. That's David's sword. Isn't our God good? Look at his perspective compared to ours. Goliath's so big, and God's saying, that's, but he's carrying David's sword, which is probably the same size as David. We can't afford to passively wage war against sin and spiritual enemies. Strike them down, cut off their heads, move forward in victory. And the last one is this, I'll close. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. When you find victory in your life, or maybe you're in a battle right now, think back to the last time that God was faithful. When was the last time God came through? When was the last time God showed up? 1 Samuel 17, verse 54. Then David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. It was many years later that Jerusalem was conquered. When we read this in America, we think, oh, he brought it to Jerusalem. He chopped his head off, and while it was still fresh, he brought it back. Sorry, it's a little gruesome, but it was many years later that Jerusalem was conquered. This likely means that David eventually brought Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Eventually. We also see that David also uses Goliath's sword later on in 1 Samuel 23. Presumably, some theologians believe that David had the head of Goliath pickled and he hung it in the banqueting hall after he had captured Jerusalem. 
Why? Not to promote himself. Look at me. I'm great. I'm worthy to be king now. (laughs) He did it as a way to remember that God is a victorious God, that we serve the living God who is victorious. And when I faced the lion, when I faced the bear, when I faced the giant, who none of them had covenant with my God, I walked with confidence. Not in my own ability. I was yet a child, but I walked towards Goliath. And I said, because you cursed my God, I will strike you down and God will fight with me. That's how we go. But have we created a way, have you created any way to remember when God was faithful? Because it's easy to forget when the next battle comes, when the next Goliath comes, when the next thing comes, it's easy to forget. Was God ever good? Yes, he was. You just got to find a way to remember. My wife, Leslie, I talk about this. She's so good at this. She does a, a good things jar. At the end of every year, we, we look at it and we go in and anytime something good happens, whether it's big or small or it was just a fun day, she makes a little note on a scrap piece of paper. She puts it in the jar, in the jar. And then at the end of the year, we get that jar and we take it out and we have dates on them and we can look at our whole year and we can look at just the good things. Because there's been years where the, the year felt like hell. But the good things jar gives me hope that my God was faithful then and he will be faithful tomorrow. He was faithful that year, even in the midst of going through trial, but he will be faithful in the next year in the midst of trial. We serve a living God. Remember God's faithfulness. Friends, it's revival or we die. How desperate am I for a move of God? Am I so desperate that I'm willing to go to spiritual war to see it come to, happen, come to place and come through in my life? We're in a standoff and God desires to bring revival to the Bible Belt, to our region, to our church, to your life, but he's waiting for people of faith to say, let's go already. How long are we gonna let this giant run its mouth? Let's do something about it. We must become desperate for revival, realizing the significance of the moment that we are living in. What did David do? He reminded us, comparison will kill you. Don't compare yourself to anyone else in this season. Stop. God created you. It will kill your dreams, your confidence, your identity, your calling. Prepare before the battle. When you're in the battle, it's too late. Doesn't mean that God can't equip you in the battle. He'll be with you in the battle. I'm just saying, let's prepare when times are good for when that enemy shows up and we'll strike him down. Remember, when you fight, God fights with you. The battle is the Lord's go in the power of his might and remember his faithfulness. I'm not gonna, I have reflection questions on there in your card. I'm not gonna get into all that right now. I'm gonna close, but I'm gonna tell you the action step. Eddie, you can put up the action step if I have it. Speak God's word to defeat your enemy. How do I throw the stone that I've carried with me? Those scriptures, those promises, I have to speak them out loud. And in today's world, people have looked down on speaking God's word because they think that you're just living in denial for speaking God's word when you face crisis. Can I tell you this? When Jesus went toe-to-toe with the enemy, with the devil, face-to-face in the wilderness, he didn't have anything else. What did he do? He spoke God's word, and the devil ran. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, somebody. Amen? If it will work for Jesus, he was showing us, how do I defeat this enemy? speak it. Not your words, speak God's word. You'll strike him down. It may not take just one slingshot stone like it happened with David. It may take a few times. Maybe you're facing something that's big in your life and you've been praying and you've been speaking and it hasn't seen breakthrough yet. Keep on, son. Keep on, daughter. Keep on. And God is faithful to his word. Victory is yours. Let's get after it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being here, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to walk in the power of your might. As we go, you go with us. As we fight, you fight with us. I thank you for victory from this. 
victory from this lesson today, victory from your word. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.